You are listening to the Brick and Data Podcast with Todd Harris and Jose Chan, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, tech, and the people that drive it all. Hey, everyone. We are live with episode 45 of the Brick and Data Podcast. This is Todd Harris. And Jose Chan. Coming up in this episode, where did those discounts go? Sit down, Microsoft. Store number eight gobbles up another. Weird news of the week. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. All right, Jose, so where did those discounts go? Let's let's dig into this a little bit. Okay. So there was a report. There's, there's always reports. We're always digging into the reports. Uh, the most recent one was uh, this past week, uh, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, revealed that apparel prices climbed 1.7% in January. All right, so we're not talking discounts yet, right? But still, that's Correct. that's that's a step in the direction of wondering where discounts have gone. But let's let's dig deeper into into what's going on here. So it was reported by CNBC and a whole bunch of others. His earnings season again too, and um, it was reported that uh, the actual uh, consumer price index was impacted in a way by apparel prices, um, and it was in a way that hasn't been so really over the past few years, the trend for apparel prices uh, on the CPI has been lower until this past holiday season when we've seen prices jump up. There's a handy little graph that we'll include in our in our show notes that really shows how how pricing in general, so the, the price that we're paying for a shirt or whatever, um, due to the heavy discounts that retailers have been employing to try to get more traffic, to try to save themselves, Right. This whole sure. doom and gloom thing we've been hearing about for the past several years, which is, thank God, finally almost over. Um, what do we have going on here, Jose? It seems like there's a little bit of a – I don't know if it's – if you think it's a temporary shift or do you think this is something that is more of a permanent trend in uh, pricing by retailers trying to get out of that that rut of heavy discounting? That's a really good question, Todd. So, look, as you said, it's the biggest increase since 1990. And uh, women's apparel costs um, jumped a record 3.4% during the same month that we're talking about, which is January. So to your question, what's really happening here? Well, a couple of things. And is it a trend? Uh, The short answer is it probably is a trend uh, overall. Um, Will it hold? I think that will hit highs and lows. But overall, I think going forward, it will be an upwards trend. Um, when you look at it, um, let's say, uh, as a whole, why is this? This is uh, simply because I think retailers are managing their inventories in a way that is much more productive for them. Uh, moreover, in these numbers, we see things like weather playing into it, right? So we, right. we had the pretty cold weather across the US, uh, record-breaking temperatures. So I think that people buying things full price um, overall during, let's say, January, right? right. If, if you recall, so that had for sure. Yeah, but there's been colder. There's been cold seasons in the past few years. I mean, it's not, you know, it's nothing new that there's been cold seasons. There's been True. you know cold spots, cold cold spells, I should say, um, and that's always been a contributing factor, right? Those weather related, uh, the things you can't control that are going to you know, let retailers charge full price. But what about the rest of this stuff, right? Yeah. What about the rest agree. of the things that are... Fully agree. Yeah. I, I guess that last point that I made was yeah. 
perhaps a drop in the bucket, totally. but it was relative to everything else. But the big picture, really, uh, is that they're just controlling their inventories better yeah. overall, right? I mean, that, that that's that's which means that they're selling more at full price, right? Which is a good thing. And and then you know, okay, so we could think about a few a few reasons for this, like like you just mentioned, they're getting smarter about inventories. We could also think of it that maybe they've blown their inventories in a way, right? So maybe leading up to this because of all the stress and pressure coming over the past year, trying to make good to investors and to, you know, um, to themselves, actually making profits, becoming profitable across all brands for, you know, for those retailers that have multiple brands. Um, perhaps they kind of ran out of inventory in a way. Maybe they decided to just pull back say, hey, we're not, we're not going to sit on so much inventory anymore. And maybe it wasn't as much of a, an intelligent move, but just they were forced to. And maybe it just turned out that, hey, holiday season's here. We have less stuff to sell. So maybe that's, that's one thing. And leading off of um, uh, this is, of course, leading off of those deflationary years that we've had with retail over the past two, three, four years where prices have been continuously heavy discounts, right? Like I always talk mm -hmm. about Banana Republic. That's my favorite thing to talk about because <laughs> they are every two seconds, there's a 40, 50% discount on shirts and I love their shirts so much. So I'm always waiting on those and you don't have to wait too long because it, there was a period <laughs> where it was every other week for some reason, you know? Um, I can they make up holidays for it, right? <laughs> in, my, in my closet. Hey, I have to rotate shirts. I'm at that time right now. So Banana, can you please... I, wanna, I need a sale. So maybe there's something out there for, what is it, President's <laughs> Day coming up, Jose? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah so, that's hey, there up. we go. I know where I'm going this weekend. Anyway. <laughs> well, Todd, to add to what you're saying, the other way to look at it is, on top of what we're saying, um, you also have to look at the cost of goods. The cost of goods, I think, is a factor. Uh, and not going too deep into the weeds here, just uh, I'll mm -hmm. leave it at this, um, is that uh, the cost obviously affects the retail price not it influences it well, right of course it, it does yeah and yeah. costs have been going up in terms of production costs in china over the last few years so this um increase in retail prices um could also be reflected in increased costs right is reflecting the increased cost of production mm -hmm. which in turn um, is reflected in what consumers are purchasing in addition to the other reasons. So that may be another potential factor for this uh, price increase in January. Yeah, fair. That that absolutely could be. And there's there's more factors than you and I could probably ever dream up at this point. But nonetheless, it's still <clears throat> it's still fun to guess, uh, guess at what, what might be happening here. And, and I just wonder, you know, is this something either they <laughs> they didn't intentionally do, which would be kind of funny. I, I don't think that's the case, but what if? What if they just kind of ended up in a pickle and, <laughs> and just, you know, less to sell? So, you know, that's just the way it is. But there's also, um, there's also the concept of retailers retraining us as consumers so that we're not as used to discounts all the time and sales, leave that to the off price or leave that to, you know, um, the other types of retailers, the specialty retailers, that that's their gig. That's their thing, 
right? Yes. And then the mono brands are the main, you know, the the brands that we look at as so, you know, Coach and, you know, Michael Kors and like you were talking about Canada Goose. Those ones are going to have less less uh, less sales. And if you want to sell on one of those things, yeah, go find it over at TJ Maxx maybe if you're lucky. Um, yeah. You know? I think that's an absolutely big, big, a key crucial point that, that we should maybe talk about because there have been articles um, for example, that Ralph Lauren was offering less discounts than in prior years. And that, that was an article. And I think that I can't remember where it was from. We, we could find it, but it's out there if you Google it. Um, and I, as a, let's say as a person going onto their website or a customer or potential customer at that, yeah. I did notice that this year their discounts were one, not as steep as prior years. Right. Mm -hmm. And they had more full price merchandise uh, being sold. So usually remember, the logic is anytime there's a sale, uh, generally customers will also buy uh, some full price merchandise. And that that drives prices. So if there's less. Right. The attachments. Exactly. And that's the key. I, I mean, for retail during sale periods. Um, and it used to, in the old days, if they could get you into a store, not, we know that's partially the case, but there are many places to purchase digitally. So it, as long as they could get you in, whether it's in a website, uh, mobile, whatever, or in a store, there's a high likelihood that you're also going to purchase, if you're going to purchase on sale, also purchase uh, something full price. Right. Right. Which just saves their margins in a way, right? Over time. Yeah. Um, exactly. Because kind of that, that's the sting key. out of that margin loss. Exactly. Because you just you need to make room, and anything that's unsold at the end of the season is just money tied up. Uh, so what you're really trying to do, as you're saying, is make sure that you maximize margin and turnover and selling your full price goods. Um, and it's about the turn at the end of the day for a retailer on top of the margin. Yeah. Um, did we mention? I don't think we mentioned earlier that women's apparel. If you isolate women's apparel, we were talking about apparel in general with that 1.7% climb. Um, but women's apparel uh, jumped 3.4%. Um, so it says – actually, it says women's apparel costs. That's the note that we have from – I believe it's from CNBC. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that, Jose? Yeah, so so that speaks to – if the costs jump 3.4%, that ties back into why the retail – Prices also increased, right? Right. So, so that goes back to that China point. Um, if a good um, amount of production is in China, which, which is what we've seen over the years, we've seen increases. Then that naturally would translate into higher retail prices, right? And it would influence those retail prices, right? Which would partially explain this one percent increase in apparel prices in January. Well, yeah, but I think you know what we can take out of this. If we were going to kind of put a put this in a little capsule, is that this is generally speaking a good thing, um, but the question is, what does the next quarter bring, right? Sure. What does the next month bring, or is it because is it going to keep trending the way it has been, or at least the way that it recently spiked? Because it actually hasn't been trending at all, right? It's it's almost an anomaly, an anomalous month. Yeah. So since 1990, uh, to your point, I fully agree. Right. If this continues trending this way, it, it bodes well uh, for retailers because that they're, they're uh, becoming much more robust in their ability to deliver, uh, let's say, numbers, hopefully, and translates into increased revenue, increased margin. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's move on and talk about Microsoft here. And um, this is very interesting because Amazon, and this is, we always have something Amazon in every episode. What would this podcast be without Amazon? Um, <laughs> I actually don't know. But uh, <laughs> what's interesting about Amazon is that, the, again, there's been earnings announcements this week and uh, resulting of some of the, the, uh, the really solid earn- earnings on Amazon's part. Uh, their shares have gone up about two and a half, three percent on Wednesday this past week. So, by the time this podcast gets out, it'll be the previous week. But um, what that did is it sent its market value higher than Microsoft for the first time ever. And that puts Amazon as the third largest company in the U.S., only behind Apple and um, and Google parent Alphabet. So Apple is worth $849 billion. Alphabet's worth $744 billion. Um, this is all according to Markets Insider data. So... This is a very interesting uh, angle by um, by by Amazon that they're that they're doing so well and that they're they're finding new ways to expand their business to move their model along to not just rest on their laurels and uh, and sit there and absorb uh, absorb those 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 standard those standard sales that they've had over the past five to ten years and what do we really mean by that so there's a whole chunk of Amazon's revenues and their sales growth, which is due to Amazon Prime members. And um, what's happened there is that they've, as we've talked about in the past six to nine, I think you and I have talked about it several episodes that, yeah. uh, you know, Amazon yeah. is driving closer and closer towards apparel sales and try, and, and that's a pen, that's, that could possibly disrupt the apparel market, whether it's fast fashion or fashion, you know, high fashion sure. or luxury, whatever it might be. And the big question was, are people going to go there? Are, are regular Amazon shoppers going to go there and buy apparel? And mm-hmm. are Amazon Prime members, which is their, their golden nugget of shoppers, and which includes you and I and, many, and probably the vast sure. majority of those that listen to this podcast, are also shopping there for not only, <clears throat> not only flash, flash sale tchotchkes and, you know, uh, <laughs> you know uh, whatever, whatever else uh, everyone buys. I know that I buy like watch bands and – random other things like that and just just things that I wouldn't find elsewhere right but then the more the more thought provoking things are someone actually going there to buy a shirt a nice shirt that they're going to wear every day sure. i guess with a few reservations in the back of their mind is that legit is it a knockoff mm-hmm. is this the latest fashion item or is this something from last season that they have on amazon you know what's what's going on with that but the interesting news around this is that um a retail think tank, Coresight Research, uh, formerly known as Fung Global Retail and Technology, Research Technology, I think it is. Is that what it was? Yes. Yes. And yes. Um, uh, I always get its, its retail or research in there. But apparently, according to their to their survey, is that uh, two-thirds of those surveys have said that they've shopped for clothing or footwear at Amazon during the past year. So that's, that's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, if you think about that, that's some amazing, uh, amazing growth and adoption. Yes, it is. And, and to, to your point, I mean, it, it's let, let, let's go back to to um, their share price um, increase. We think of them in, in a retail context, right, when we often talk about them. But in effect, what they really are is a technology company, right? So um, the retail component is one uh, of the segments that they work on, but they have other segments um, that they're working on, right? They they have AWS, they have, of course, right? And so mm-hmm. sticking, and I only bring that up 
because it, it that all those other things affect its share price. Mm-hmm. Um, but sticking to retail, it's fascinating how they're trying um, to get more into the apparel, um, let's say, sector with private label. But what they're doing is they're selling, uh, let's say, merchandise from other brands online, right? While trying to develop their own private label. And it's interesting because a lot of times they're discounted. If you look at their prices for anything that you'll buy on Amazon, uh, there's always a, a discount relative to the full retail price, which is interesting in itself because from a retail standpoint, if we think of the strength of what has been selling uh, over the last few years, luxury overall as an industry, has luxury sector has been doing quite well, in addition to beauty companies that we've talked about in prior podcasts. And, mm-hmm. of course, as you said, the off-price retailers like the TJX's, Ross's of the world have also been doing well. And it's incredible that they're being perceived as, off, as an off-price retailer because this is on trend with, with actually uh, growing companies in the retail sector. Yeah, see, that's that's interesting. Um, w- w- as you were talking there, I was thinking about the potential impact of what Amazon is doing here with clothing and with apparel in general. Um, and if it's going to, I guess everyone's first reaction to this is, is it going to cannibalize or not cannibalize? Is it going to, well, yeah, is it going to cannibalize the market? Is it going to take sales away from other retailers rather than help them. And I guess the, the pessimistic view on this is, yes, it's going to do that. And is that, yeah, sure, Nike and or, and um, and Reebok and all those other sportswear, athleisure-type type, uh, retailers, um, sure, they're going to suffer. But I don't know if that's really the case because mm-hmm. if they're stimulating demand, which they could be by offering on Amazon because everyone's first route is to run to Amazon – Right to check a price or to see sure. if it's available because of the quick shipping. Um, has my thought on this is that it's spurred innovation, spurred movement on the part of Under Armour, you know, um, Reebok, things like that, because they're now having to compete in a way that they didn't before. It's not just them sitting there staring at each other in a room like, all right, who's going to offer something new now? Okay, we're going to sell it on our website and, you know, that that kind of thing, all the little marketing sure. campaign, whatever, whatever. I, I Maybe it's just me becoming more aware over the past six months, but I, I feel like I've, I've seen a lot more activity, whether it comes to ads, to celebrity endorsements, to specific lines of clothing um, that, again, are aligned with a uh, – and I'm, I'm focusing on a, a kind of athleisure and sportswear and that type of, sure. that type of stuff, which seems to be the most – the most uh, prevalent on Amazon, um, from what I've seen at least, is that they're they're trying to take that angle. At least the Nikes and such are trying to take that angle of making them unique when you go to their website or when you buy from their website. That there is a you know there's a person associated with it. So in the case of um, you could go back to regular apparel here, think of like Kevin Love um, mm-hmm. being Dan Republic's essentially their 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 main poster boy when it comes to. When it comes to clothing and aligning, you know, Banana Republic with the NBA, sure, that's that's really cool, and that is something that that differentiates them and will give people a reason to go to Banana Republic's website or buy something from the store or something like that. But the you know the real question is goes back to what I was saying before: is is Amazon really ruining 
ruining their day by by either being perceived as an off-price apparel retailer or just being perceived as an apparel retailer too? Or is it doing good? I I think it's a mixed. It depends. It's a case by case basis, right? So you bring up a really good point that retailers uh, need to differentiate themselves, and they're doing it through brand positioning because that's their unique value prop, right? On top of other things that they bring to the table. But that that that's one component. But when you think of Amazon, you also have to consider the fact that it could help. If it's viewed, and um, this is just one view, and we, it, there are many possibilities, but this is just one possibility that I'll illustrate. It could be viewed as just another way to sell uh, another sales channel, right, for a brand right. Uh, to sell merchandise. However, at the same time, on the flip side, from a brand standpoint, the brand needs to be very, very careful in what it sells, right, online, right. so it's not perceived as a discounted brand if it chooses to sell on Amazon, because more likely than not, unless there's an agreement that says there is no discounting, uh, not sure how that would necessarily fare. Oh, so you're saying one um, item. So let me just pause for a second to clarify. So you're saying if, if <clears throat> I'm on uh, Reebok's site and they have a a pair of training shoes up there for seventy nine ninety nine, and then I go to Amazon and that same pair of shoes is cheaper. Yes. Right? So um, I don't know if that's really... I don't know if that happens a lot, to be honest with you. I haven't seen that happen a lot because I'm always looking for that. And mm-hmm. I do wonder, though, if that here and there, if that happens, and maybe just out of out of their control sometimes, you know, or maybe they just forget what, who knows, I mean, what their price is there. But it depends on the yeah. agreement, yeah. actually. Because remember, from um, from the the way the law stands, right? Yeah. It's the retail price is always a suggested retail price. If you were a wholesale brand selling into a retailer, which in this case, let's say Amazon's a retailer, you suggest what price a good should be sold at to an end consumer. However, it's a suggested price. You can't force someone to sell it at the price. Okay. So you're saying, so if, the, and this is, this is new for me here and I'm, hopefully I'm not wasting time for others listening, but um, if there is going to be a set price, then the brand, so say Nike, will have that determined prior, and that'll be the price for X SKU or X set of yeah, clothing exactly. or whatever of goods. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if that's not there, then Amazon has the free free right to adjust the price of that item? Yeah, well, they, they, they can, actually, okay. unless, unless you're... It, because otherwise, it it's becomes almost like uh, it, it goes against the law to tell everybody that you should sell everything at this price, and it's never yeah, going to change. Yep. yep. Right. Makes it, sense. It, it it's anti-competitive if from from a from a, the standpoint of the law. Yep. So well, everybody holds the price uh, generally, and if they discount, the only other recourse you can have would be to actually pull your goods or brand from that retailer and not supply them anymore. Yep. So I, I, I think I'm more sold on, on the fact that Amazon, in the case of apparel and sporting goods and stuff like that, or you know, athleisure or whatever, they're, they're actually driving more interest, I think. I would um, agree. You know, and yeah. I, I speak that, I say that because, and I'm speaking from for myself here, not for others, but... Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's unintentionally, I think, happened with me. And when I've been, 
you know, I'll get an email, for example, from Reebok or Under Armour, and it'll, they'll always have an email on, hey, you know, our uh, our clearance area is, these things are in our clearance area, or for the next 24 hours, get this percent off, or we've got a focus on these types of things for, we noticed you bought, you bought these things before, we've got these, and I'm, I usually click on them because, I don't know, I just do. And I go in there and I look around, and then I'll also go check Amazon. And then when I'm on Amazon, I'll see, and this is probably what's not good, I'll see other brands that are introduced, right? So when you're there, if you're looking at something Under Armour, something else Reebok related will come up. Sure. I'm like, ooh, that looks nice. Next thing you know, <laughs> I'm over on Reebok's website buying something over there. So, it, it, you know, it, it, what I'm saying is that there is a intertwined uh, pattern and reaction that happens here, I think, when uh, when when you have this 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 balance of Amazon and the and the brands like this, and I think it's oh, almost definitely. like if they are going to play in this because sometimes they're going to lose out, like they did in that case. In the example I gave you, I went to another brand in that case, but very often they're going to win. You know, they're going to get more oh, sure. sales, they're going to move more inventory than it would than they would if they just sat and sold without yes. Amazon in play. Fully agree. Uh, I, I I fully agree because it's an incredible way to advertise and have reach. Uh, on the flip side, you just kind of have to, I guess, what was what I was really saying. I was just trying to take the other side, okay. uh, not, not disagreeing with, with what you're saying, yeah. uh, but just trying to present a different vantage point from a brand standpoint that you kind of, the gist of what I was saying was really, you kind of have to think about how are you going to structure it yep. for yourself to make it work for you. But overall, to your point, yes, it is beneficial because it's incredible exposure. All right, so I think we beat that one to death. Um, that I mean, this is this is it's really exciting. This whole this whole set of activity that's happening with Amazon and, and other retailers, and we'll just have to you know keep our eyes on it, and maybe we'll get some more research out of CourseSight and other uh, other research form, firms over the next quarter or two to see if this if this keeps uh, trending that way and people keep embracing buying clothing and apparel on Amazon. So yet another another. Another uh, pipe of opportunity there for Amazon. We didn't even talk about any of the Whole Foods stuff. Maybe that'll be next time. But there's more activity around that, which is just another another chunk of opportunity for them. So yeah, exactly. It's never ending. Right when we think they're done. <laughs> right when we think they're done, they're, they're there's no more growth. You know, they they can't seem. You know, we hear news about them not being able to gain more Amazon Prime members. That's not what they're looking for anymore. Right. Sure. Sure, more exactly. is great, but there's so much other opportunity outside of that uh, with the with the members that they currently have. So. Exactly. Yes. So let's talk about Walmart. <clears throat> it seems like our natural move here from Amazon to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, what you talk about in this episode? Amazon. <laughs> How about the next one? Amazon and Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> we just burst in Walmart. Yeah, Amazon. it's just so Walmart. much news. These guys just float all the news that is that is out there. But hey, they've got this, uh, uh, as many, many know, and you can probably explain this a little bit better than I can, Jose, but they've got a startup incubator called Store Number 8 where they're trying to uh, think of creative ways or find creative ways and encourage creative ways through technology um, of, re of reshaping retail, <clears throat> right? Do you want to expand a yeah. little bit on what's going on with uh, the latest acquisition and maybe some of the existing existing companies they have there? Because the focus yeah. of this will be on the new acquisition, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, um, Todd and I uh, attended a talk at the NRF when we uh, did our podcast there live. Uh, this past January. And we actually had a chance to listen firsthand to Kate Finnegan, uh, who is the principal of the incubator, store number eight. And so store number eight, we know, um, is, is, as Todd just mentioned, is has the aim of reshaping the retail experience. Um, and so this is 
part of Walmart, but it's a separate company from Walmart based on what Kate said in her talk at the NRF. And so it's it's also functions that way. But the whole point is that they know, Walmart knows, that the future of retail is going to be very different from what it is today. And so they're experimenting with new ways and bringing in companies internally in order to, let's say, shape uh, this new retail, um, let's say, way of shopping. So it actually acquired Spatialand. So it's a small LA-based VR company uh, founded by Kim Cooper. And it incorporated Spatialand into their incubator, which is called Store No. 8. And just to give you an idea, what are other companies and other technology that they're exploring in this new initiative. Well, uh, in addition, they have Code, which is a personal shopping company service uh, led by uh, founder Jenny Fleiss, uh, one of the founders of um, Rent the Runway. In addition, there is Project Kepler, which is run by Jet.com co-founder Mike Hanrahan. Uh, moreover, they, this incubator also plans to build a facility without checkout lines or cashiers, if that sounds familiar, um, <laughs> right? This is essentially what Amazon Go is doing right now. So they're trying to pick companies, handpick them, and bring them in to create this experience. So ultimately, as Finnegan p- told uh, Inc. Magazine in January, and I'll leave it at this, yep. is at the core and this is a quote, we're about what the customer journey is and how uh, do we make that experience magical. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, focusing on uh, on the recent acquisition that you were talking about, uh, Spatial Land, is that what it is again? Yes. That's what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so what they're, apparently what they're trying to do, and, and I don't know, I, I have a mental roadblock when it comes to VR and retail. I just can't, <laughs> I can't. I mean, I, okay, so let's back up a little bit here. For those that have used VR in some sort of way, it is a really cool way to experience something differently. But it's obtrusive. It's in, invasive. You need a thing on your head. You need a phone or some other device to power it. There's a lot required. So, But this team is trying to, quote-unquote, develop and explore new products and uses of VR through immersive retail environments that can be incorporated by all facets of Walmart, online and offline. Okay. I'm guessing that this is more of an online thing where you would be able to get more value out of Walmart online using VR. I'm still struggling what that would be, but mm-hmm. um, when we're speaking about online it does seem VR lines up closer to online and AR lines up closer to offline, meaning in-store. Uh, so what they're trying to do here, I'm not sure if if they're leaning on one side or the other or if they are trying to create uh, some type of a, of a headset we put on and suddenly we're like Iron Man shopping in Walmart with everything <laughs> popping up all over the place, which seems like a nightmare, right? We've all seen, sure. you know, we've, I think uh, many, of, many of those that are listening or I know we have watched episodes of Black Mirror where in the future, you've got this stuff built into your eye and you're looking around and things pop up that, you know, give you added information on what's around mm-hmm. you and it's seamless and, and non-invasive. So obviously that's that's the that's the end goal, I think, from a tech perspective, maybe not what we want, but from a tech perspective is to 
add that extra context to everything that's seen. So that's the AR side, but the VR side, I'm just really, really struggling with this to understand the value of it in retail. And I really want to be proved wrong. And I'm sure I can be. And I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just being maybe stubborn about this, trying to get past, you know, what, what exactly defines the worthy, the worthiness of VR in retail and what does that actually look like? And I, I bet you Walmart is trying to figure that out too. Someone's trying to figure it out because everyone's talking about it yet. You have, I don't think you have seen, and I know I haven't seen any real, any real way VR has been used in retail so far that will be, that seems to be adopted, adopted by the many, by the, you know, the population right. in general. And uh, that's actually positively benefiting the retailers, but it's fun to talk about. Hey, right. I mean, we're here yes. to talk about cool things like that and it's a great thing to talk about, but uh, I do question some of it, but hey, that's why, but that's why this store number eight incubator is there to surface these things. Well, maybe a few of them might be just total crap. Right, maybe they just—they're just not great ideas. Maybe they, they realize two years from now this isn't going to work, but they've got a whole bunch of others that are sitting there waiting to be incubated or, you know, pushed forth. So this is—it's—it's it's very cool stuff. I remember at yeah, an NRF. I think it was was it NRF Jose where yes, it was um, NRF. Yep. The, the head of uh, uh, I oh, I can't recall her name now. Katie Finnegan. That's it. There you go. You just said it before. She's fantastic, you know, talking about the strategy of Store 8 and what they're up to and the growth and how they're picking these different startups and mm-hmm. um, all fantastic. And I look forward to seeing what's next, but I still just can't get past the VR thing. Well, it's interesting. So we'll put this up in the show notes on the store number eight. Mm-hmm. There was a blog um, that was written about this. And they said on that blog, blog, that they want to use this for both online and offline. doesn't say how they're going to use right. it, yep. right? Uh, so it's for both. But it's interesting because the, what this blog says is that if this is um, – we know that VR has been used in gaming entertainment. Uh, but they say that it's been ignored as a possibility, that is VR, in retail. And so it also says, and I'm just paraphrasing, that since in retail uh, we're merchandisers and storytellers, or they're merchandisers and storytellers, this has the potential to reinvent the customer experience. And they're Mm -hmm. calling this experience contextual commerce, which is interesting. Again, to your point, not clear on the actual application uh, or use case for this, but at least to your point, they're thinking about this yep no doubt and that's good you got it's better that way than than not even considering it as an option so um and it maybe it'll blend better with the technology as vr technology becomes less intru- uh, obtrusive meaning less of a of an item you have to carry around and either charge or plug in or whatever it might be or wrap around your head and mess up your mm-hmm. hair uh, maybe it's going to become less, you know, <laughs> less of an intrusive, uh, less of an intrusive thing. So then that's all that matters. It's about convenience. It's about, you know, how simply, how simple is the experience and how much does that experience benefit me? And is it worth hey. doing it right now? No, it's not worth doing it. And, but hey, w- soon, right? I can't afford another bad hair day. Okay. I, well, I know. And that's why we don't do video when we do these, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, let's. Can we talk about weird news of the week for a quick second, and then we'll wrap all this this whole shindig up here? Sure. Um, so uh, we all know that this past week, I think it was, was this past week, L.O. Bean was talking about, or they they made a big splash, and we're all used to their 
their their return policy, right? Their amazing return policy. Um, you know, you buy something from LL Bean, and it doesn't matter when you can return it if it, if there's any you know disintegration in the quality, if there's any type of reason at all. Uh, amazing warranty. It's it's industry standard became industry standard or the goal at least for most retailers, and not many were able to live up to that. But uh, that's been a known thing since what the eighties, probably. Probably. Yeah. So uh, Illinois man. We usually say I usually say Florida man. I think Florida is where all the wacky <laughs> stuff happens. Illinois man is suing LL Bean for breaking of its promises after the, the company announced changes to its warranty this past week or the week before. I can't remember which which one it was, but there is an actual lawsuit happening, Jose, and this is kind of ridiculous. Um, I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it. Yeah, it, it. So this is this is what the um, the suit states, and I'm going to quote. Okay. Yeah. LL Bean's repudiation of the warranty is a violation of the law and a breach of warranty between LL Bean and plaintiff and the other class members. <laughs> ah, I see. Nice and generic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look, what happened? Uh, customers were abusing the policy, right? So right. The, according to the article, uh, returning heavily worn products, or get this, Products purchased at yard sales. Yard sales. So, I mean, yard sales. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what to say here. I mean, other than um, I'm not sure why they're having this lawsuit, right? I mean, if it's abused, uh, retailers need to defend themselves as well, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, some people that were very heavily in, uh, invested in that return policy, and now their lives are ruined because they can't they can't return their 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 items back to LL Bean after what a few months or a year or t- ten a years? Year? Yeah, a decade. Yeah, the new yeah the new policy limits most returns to a year. Yeah, and and so to I clarify, okay. I think they'll be okay, right? Because they had a lifetime refund policy baked in. To its company's, let's say, uh, culture, um, after 90 of the company's first 100 pairs of signature boots fell apart in 1912. So this has been around since 1912. This Crazy. lifetime. Warranty. I didn't know that. Wow, that's nuts. I mean, and they're Imagine how, it, like, back then in 1912 when they created this, no big deal. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just set this policy in place. It'll make everyone happy. Right. I can't imagine how. I guess I would love to see the the back end of that, you know, to see how how many of these are actually processed, the, the age of the item, how much money is lost in that case, and how much money is lost from this policy, and how much money will be gained now potentially. But uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, because there are other retailers yeah. that have this type of policy, but right. generally you'll find that the abuse is minimal. It's usually the, you know, the tail end uh, of the long tail. So, it, you know, and it's a few people that abuse it. And, you know, right. you let it go because it doesn't hurt you. And for the vast majority, it's it's a great thing. But this must have been a big problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming so. I'm assuming so. But, hey, well, I, you know, I hope Illinois man recovers and he <laughs> doesn't get anything for his lawsuit. And and that we just move on and let L.O. Bean do their thing. He can go buy his shoes somewhere else. He doesn't like it. Am I right? I fully agree. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, hey, that was fun. Uh, that's a show, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you have questions, comments, feedback at all, as always, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. We're also on on uh, Twitter, the tweeters, at, at brickdatacast. And we're on Instagram, too, at brickdatacast. Uh, so we're up there. Go check it out. We've got some stuff up there. Uh, we're also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you consume your favorite podcasts. And until next time, take care, everyone. And Jose, take it easy. You too. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>